Well, hello, Fellowship family. It's really great to have you with us this morning as we continue our series called Decided, Key Decisions of a Follower of Jesus. And today we're going to be talking about a concept that I think if we could get a hold of, get our hands on, and we can be decided, live a decided life in this area, it not only would transform our own hearts, it could transform this world. It's the issue of serving. And uh, I've learned in following Jesus that either I'm going to be served or I'm going to serve. And uh, our church here has that picture. We want to be a people who serve. And many of you are engaged in that. We thank you for that. But many of you are not. You're kind of watching God do things around here, but you're not in the game. And I honestly believe that God's created you for that. He's created for us to serve him. I want to direct your attention to do two different passages today in the New Testament that kind of gives us the case for serving. And one is the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 10. If you have your Bibles there, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start with verse 43. But what it really is, as I set you up for this, uh, I'll give you a little bit of background. Uh, two disciples, James and John, were arguing amongst themselves about uh, who gets to sit next to Jesus when he reigns in his kingdom. And the other disciples caught, caught wind of this and were really indignant. They were really upset with this. They kind of came competitive with them. And Jesus kind of gives a correcting statement about really what, what everything's going to be about and what all of life should be about. And it involves serving and not focusing and having your life be about what others can do to serve you. And so take a look at this. It says in verse 43, Jesus said, It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus really confronted them and he said, Look, my pattern is I step down from heaven to earth to serve. And it radically changed the world. We'll come back to this point of Jesus stepping down to lift up the glory of God and to even serve people on this earth. And you know what, that same pattern, if you're a follower of Jesus, is that's what a follower of Jesus does. We follow Jesus. We're called here to serve also. I think about the perspective of serving in our lives, and I think about those two columns on your notes, that, that when you engage an environment, you, we usually engage it with the attitude of, of others serving us to be served, or us serving others to serve now, I think about just the mindset of each of those categories. When I show up in an environment and expect someone to serve me, I'm thinking about my needs, right? I'm, I'm aware of my needs. I'm, I have expectations for people. And that expectation, depending on the environment, depending on how much I spent to be in that environment, those expectations are, are there. And if people fall short of those, man, look out. I am TripAdvisor. There is going to be a negative thing. Amazon, zero stars. I mean, we, we tend to react to bad bad service when we have those expectations. And we tend to put ourselves in that first place. It's me that you need to take care of. It's my problems that you need to be sensitive to. But when I show up in an environment with an attitude to serve, well, it's very different. I'm aware of others' needs, not just my own. And I think about what they need and what I can do to help them. And I engage them. I don't have expectations for them. I even engage them without expecting anything in return when the need's great enough, right? And I, it, I come from a position where I'm not first. 
I'm last. And that follows Jesus. He gets the glory. We make it more about him than us when we engage an environment to serve rather than to be served. And here's what I've learned about serving. I will joyfully serve the people I love. I will. If you've ever raised children, you know what I'm talking about, especially when they're really young. You may get up six times in the night, okay? But you don't always, you know, a week after that, you don't go, wow, boy, I counted them up 32 times this week. This kid owes me. No. You love that kid. You're saying, wow, the kid, he's potty trained now. That's a huge thing because he's six years old, you know? (laughs) We celebrate those moments and we will put up with a whole bunch of stuff. If we love a person, love is the motivator that moves us to serve. But this statement also assumes that in order to serve someone, you must love them first. And Jesus, Jesus loved people. He joyfully served them. But we don't naturally love people. We don't. We love ourselves. We make life about ours. How am I feeling today? What's my expectation for you today? And so here's what I want to do. I kind of want to tweak this a little bit. Could it be that Jesus wants us to learn how to love people by serving them? That we might actually, the people we don't love, and maybe if we put ourselves in a position of a servant, God might just teach us how to love them. You know your marriage? The one that you're frustrated in because he's not sensitive to you or she's not sensitive to me. I mean, we, we have that. We build those expectations because we arrive on what we can get from them rather than what we can give to them. What if you just thought about today, I'm going to serve them. No expectations. Tomorrow, I'm going to serve them. I'm not going to keep score. What if your boss that really is frustrating, what if you showed up to serve and not to be served? No one could ever pay you for what you're worth. Trust me. But Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. When he gave his own life on the cross. That's been taken care of. So that's settled. The gospel settles this you owe me kind of issue, right? And it teaches us to, to serve people. And to, it calls us. So what I want to do is I'm going to try to nudge you into serving. And maybe God will transform your heart into loving. And so that's where I move to the second passage. Because this second passage really not only shows us why we serve, but how to serve. So we're going to kind of dissect this passage. It's 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. If you turn there with me, you'll kind of get this picture. Peter's going to build this case for serving. Let's take a look at it. Verse 7 of 1 Peter 4, it says this. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him... Belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love how Peter just breaks into prayer as he's talking about serving because God actually transformed his heart in the area of serving so much that he gave his own life to advance the gospel. He served up his own life so that people could hear about Jesus. And this passage gives us four reasons why we serve. Number one, because Jesus served. 
Jesus served. Remember, we looked in in Mark chapter 10, and it said, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus showed up, and he served. And a follower of Jesus follows Jesus, right? So we do it for no other reason than because Jesus did it, and we follow him. Secondly, this passage in, in 1 Peter 4 he teaches us that serving is actually part of God's strategy. It's actually part of strategy that since Jesus served, he became part of God's strategy and teaches us now how to be strategically used for God's glory. And here's how Peter introduces it. He says this phrase, the end, look at that, verse 7, the end of all things is near. What's all things? All things. <laughs> it's, I like how he kind of, the, the totality of everything is near. It's end. It's going to be ended. So what's everything? It's my car. It's my house. It's my clothing. It's my position. It's everything. End of all things is near. What lasts? What lasts at the end of all things? We talk about it a lot. What three things are eternal? God, his word, and say it really loud, fellowship. One, two, three. People. Someone got it wrong and was too loud. No, God, his word, and people. People, that's right. People last forever. You have a beginning point, but you don't have an end point. We're eternal. And God has created us in his image to seek after him and we would find, that we would find him through Christ. And our lives then would be changed. We last forever. And because the end of all things is, is near, use your life strategically. Serve. Serving breaks down walls. Serving makes your lives, lives about things that last forever. And if you can get over your things, if you can get over your position, if you can get over your own significance and serve, guess who becomes greater? Jesus becomes greater in your life. To him belong glory and power and dominion forever and ever. Make your life about Jesus. Thirdly, because you were created to serve. God's created you to serve. He says, each of you has received a gift, use it. God has given us a gift through the Holy Spirit that when we trust Christ, he's empowered a gift that you could use. Your gift may be very different than mine. I have a, a, a preaching gift, the, the, the communicating of the word of God, okay? Not many people long to have that gift, Other people like serving. Other people like hospitality. Other people like administration. They like leading. God's given so many different gifts, and and he shows his varied grace like a kaleidoscope to show us that we've been created, and we fit in his family. And it's a really big family that God gets glory, not out of making robots, not making monochromatic people that only have certain gifts that are elevated in the church, but we have different gifts that move us inside to outside of the church that that reach people I couldn't reach because you can with your gift. God just does that because he's he's an adventurous, wonderful God who's creative and, and has created you to serve. And then finally, we serve because God ultimately receives the glory when we serve. Here he says, the end of all things is near, but then the end, the bookend of this passage says, so therefore live in this way in order that everything, everything um, will, that God would be glorified. 
So we step down from our lives. That's what a follower of Jesus does. We step down. We follow his pattern of stepping down from our lives in order to lift God up. That's what my life, that's what your life is, is supposed to be all about. Because being served makes life all about you. Long, and, and I found out why I wake up and want that. Why do we wake up and want to be served? Because I think there's this longing in us to be taken care of. There's this longing in us to be given respect and dignity. There's this longing to relax and find rest. But here's the beauty of the gospel. It's in Jesus. Everything that we need for a relationship with God has been completely taken care of. When he lived and died and rose again from the dead, he took care of everything that was needed. We have his acceptance. We're part of his family. We're children of God through the work of, uh, person in the work of Jesus Christ. We have, we have that acceptance that we're longing for. You don't have to get it from all those other places that are empty without Christ. So God receives that glory. So what if serving actually made an internal impact? Well, it does. Serving makes an internal impact. And, and that's what I want to talk to you about now, is how to serve. And I want to use this very same passage in 1 Peter chapter 4 to show you how to serve. The first one is this. We're called to control ourselves in an out-of-control world. That's how we start serving. And what I mean by this is we literally become more available to God to be used by Him. Look where this passage begins with. The end of all things is near. So, in other words, live strategically. How do we do that? He says... Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Self-controlled means that you limit yourself of maybe even a capacity or in our country, a right that you think you have so that your life can be about something better. And then that second angle is to be sober-minded. And I like that. That's a great word because the opposite of sober is drunk, right? To be drunk on yourself. To think more highly of yourself than you ought. We don't struggle with that here in the United States. We don't make life about Facebook posts. We don't, we don't keep having Instagram. Look at how many hearts I got on this picture. It doesn't matter to us because our lives aren't about us. We don't elevate people who are living the affluent lifestyle where everyone is serving them. We, don't, we despise those people, right? They aren't our heroes. <laughs> Hello. We live in an out-of-control, drunk-on-ourselves world. We really do. And we're learning. It's not about us. It can't be about us. Those, those lives are train wrecks. I know the pictures we have of those people are the beautiful people, but those pictures have been changed. It's called Photoshop. Those lives, we only see 1%. We don't have to live with the monster of you must serve me because it's hard enough our own selves. So when we practice self-control, we try to step down from ourselves. We try to control that urge to be served so that we can make ourselves available to serve others. Some of us, that might be an out-of-control uh, agenda where your calendar is just this and this and this and this. There's no way you could serve. No, you're in survival mode. You need other people to serve you. That's the expectation you build. Some of you are just out of control in debt. Some of you are out of control in, in just doing more things for your own pleasure. And we have to practice self-control so that we can make our lives and become available for others. 
for me. I've had to practice self-control by, by just doing kind of a ritual every morning. I wake up, and before I shave, I look in the mirror. I know, don't try to visualize that with me. But I look in the mirror, and I say, no one owes you anything. No one owes you anything. Because if I wake up and think someone owes me, it's amazing. I tend to engage them based on what they can do for me or what have the expectation that they'll serve me. So if my wife wasn't sensitive to me the day before, today she owes me, you know? And I wake up with that you owe me kind of mentality. And that builds the expectation that she needs to do something for me before I'll do something for her. That's serving with strings attached, which is not the serving Jesus came to give us. If I think my kids weren't respectful or weren't appreciative and thankful for something I've done for them, and I engage the next day where it's, oh, man, you owe me. And I won't be happy until you go, Father, you are so generous. We thank you so much for everything that you are to us. It's going to change the way I approach them. I'll withhold love in order to get what them to serve me or to do something for me. And so we have to realize, we have to practice self-control. Now, I don't just say, no one owes you anything. I also move to, but you get to be a part of what God wants to do in the world today. And when I do those two things, those are two balancing things, no one owes me anything but I get to be a part, then I am ready to serve. I joyfully will serve when I take the time to self-control. What is it in your life that's out of control, that's preventing you from serving, that's robbing you of the joy of being used by a great God in a not-a-control world? Don't join this world. It will take and it will spin your schedule. It will spin your finances. It will spin your uh, drunken view of yourself out of control. And it is a monster. You cannot contain that. Break free. Liberate yourself by controlling yourself in an out-of-control world. Secondly, how do we serve? By loving each other earnestly. Look at verse 8. It says, Above all, see the priority there? Keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. It's kind of an interesting passage right in the mix of of serving. But let me just say this. I think a lot of people don't serve because they've been offended. You didn't appreciate me. I've done all this work. You didn't appreciate me. So I'm not going to serve anymore. How many of you have left the church because they weren't kind to you and you served and they owed you appreciation? We can do this in what it says. Love one another earnestly. Earnestly means when you don't feel like it. It means you're diligent with love. And there's sometimes you just have to live a decided life. I will love you. You can treat me like garbage, but I'm going to love you anyway. We do it with the people we love. What if we experimented on the people we don't love? So if you're really struggling with a neighbor or something, just look over at them and say, hey, I will love you earnestly today. That's what the scriptures are calling us to do. I'm going to fight through whatever you're putting out there, whatever offense you're going to bring out there. I'm going to fight through that so I can make this more about Jesus. And by the way, when you love earnestly, you dig into the love of Jesus. You don't operate on your own love. And we all need to dig into the love of Jesus every day of our lives to make it more about Jesus. Don't stack offenses when someone's offended you. Don't stack offenses. Keep short accounts. 
This is a staff value here at Fellowship. If we stack offenses and I go and process, if someone in the staff here hurts me or isn't sensitive to something I'm, I've asked them to do or, or led in a way that I feel disrespected, if I go home and go, Cheryl, that person did this, and you know, I burden Cheryl with that. And I can restore with that person, but Cheryl's still ticked off about that. Why? Because I can get her to see my side of the story. That's the only side of the story she hears. And you do a lot of damage. That's why we kind of love each other earnestly and take the time and navigate through that conflict so we can have that face-to-face conversation and, and get right. Hey, I don't think you, you know, when you get together and say, I don't think you meant to do this, but this is how I heard it. And, and I don't want to feel that way about you. So I'm sorry. And restore. Love covers a multitude of sins. Break yourself free from you owe me, from getting revenge so that you can serve. The third, reason, third thing we're called to do is to um, invite each other over. Here's what I mean. Here's how you serve. You show hospitality. hospitality. Look at verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. <laughs> I like that, right? Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to invite someone over. To your house in Topeka, Kansas. I want you to do that. Invite someone over. You're laughing, but I hear it inside you right now. There's no way someone's coming over to my house. (laughs) They're going to eat my food. They're going to mess up my carpet. I just got new floor covering. They're going to step on my lawn. My lawn. They're going to step on it. And they're going to mess my world up. Without grumbling. By the way, if you were Jewish, you heard that word grumbling. It traces back to the Old Testament when the children of Israel were in the wilderness and God provided everything for them. But with what they provided for for them, they were unhappy. They grumbled against the Lord. It was kind of, don't be like the children of Israel grumbling in the wilderness. Accept people, invite them over, show hospitality. Here's another reason. Although the church met in the, in the temple and it met in synagogues, the church tended to grow when people opened up their homes and taught people about Jesus. The church was a, a, a home movement. So if people valued their homes more than other people, the church didn't grow. If they grumbled every time someone was over, I mean, it tends to wear off, doesn't it? You tend to see it when someone's not excited about you being over at their home. It's like Proverbs 23, verses 6 through 8 says. It says, do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Do not desire his delicacy, for he's like one who is inwardly calculating, how much does it cost me? How much does it cost me? How much does it cost me? He says, eat and drink, he says to you. But his heart is not with you. You will, and love this. I love this declaration about this guy. It says, you will vomit up the morsels that you have eaten and waste your pleasant words. In other words, the food he serves you is the last, it's the leftovers, it's spoiled. And you will eat it and it will taste good when it hits your tongue. But when it hits your belly, you'll vomit it up. In other words, man, shouldn't have gone over to that guy's house is what you end up saying. And so it shows us the attitude in which we're to invite people over. We give people our first. We give them our best, not our last and leftovers. And it will cost you. It will cost you when you do this. Get over it. Why? Because the end of all things is near. God's going to get your house. 
He is. He'll either burn it up or he'll use people in it to advance his purposes for his glory. And so we need to get over our things without grumbling. And hi, I'm Joe. And I break things. I just do. I'm a broken man. And I've broken things in my home, which you can't see. And I'll break things if you invite me over in your home. (laughs) And it will cost you. If you love your things more than you love me, don't invite me over. Don't invite me over. I've been known to crash things into trees. When I've been invited over to go jet skiing, I poured gasoline into an air intake that I thought was a fuel intake. I've been that millionth person who's opened the door that I thought would last forever, but it broke when I used it. And I have no other reason except I break things. If you love your things more than me, don't invite me over. But if by chance you love me more than your things, invite me over. We may actually have a good time together. And if you love your things more than you love people, you're going to stay on the sidelines of being used for God's great glory. I remember I lent my lawnmower to someone who who needed to use it. And he called me up. He said, hey, Joe, I need to use your lawnmower. Would you borrow it to me? Yes, I'll do that. Even though there's some part where, man, I love my lawn. I don't want you to mess with my lawnmower. But I let him use it. And he showed up at my house on a bike. And I said, a bike? You live two miles away from me. He says, yeah, I didn't want to get my car dirty with your lawnmower. So I was going to just drive it home, hanging onto it while I rode my bike. And I thought things a pastor is not supposed to think. But I let him use my lawnmower. And he used it and he brought it back. And he put it back in my garage. And then I went and I started up my lawnmower and I started to push and it scalped my lawn. And I looked down and there's three wheels on a four-wheel lawnmower. Somewhere around mile marker, mile and a half, a wheel is there. Because he was dragging it back. And I said things that the pastor wasn't supposed to say. And then I started thinking, before I started really just making a plan for revenge and for that call that I was going to just yell at him, and I started thinking, man, what's this guy going through in his life right now? His wife has twins. After she had the twins, she plunged into depression. It cost him a ton of money that he didn't have. He was living in survival mode. He was just thinking, what do I do next? My lawnmower broke. I don't have the money for a new one. Joe's two miles away. I don't want to get Mike. I'm just living in survival mode. I'll go do this. His wife probably said, don't mess up the car with his lawnmower. She didn't appreciate this. I had to get over myself, and I went out and played the exorbitant, I mean, send it from China wheel that was sent to me, and it was gold-covered. And I placed it on my lawnmower, and I got over it because I had to realize he's more important than my lawnmower. And my house. I mean, I grew up in a family. We're, we're uh, Middle Eastern. We started with rugs. Now we're carpet, okay? We have carpet, carpet companies in Milwaukee, and I love good carpeting. And I remember Annie Vogel said, hey, we're going to be having wildlife, and my kids were in middle school. You want some kids to come over to your house? And my mind said no, but my heart said yes. Come on over. And we had 85 middle schoolers at the Hishma basement. And it stunk. It smelled like a middle school locker room. 
But that's where my kids started realizing their lives are more about themselves. That's where, where my kids started realizing ministry was more about them serving than them expecting others to serve. And you know what? My, my basement carpet looks like garbage right now. It does. Some of those stains never came out. But you know what? The end of all things is near. I've had people live in my house. I had a Sri Lankan tennis player who came to Jesus and needed a place to stay. And she stayed in our house. We had little boys, really little boys at the time, James and Jack. And my wife was overwhelmed. And we had this person stay with us. And she, she ate my favorite desserts that I was saving for myself in my refrigerator. She ate them all. And I had nothing for dessert. But you know what? For room and board, she watched our kids one morning a week and one evening a week. And Cheryl and I had a date night every week when our kids were young. She became a part of our family. We love her. Her name's Dilshani. We had Kyle Brown stay in our house for two, two uh, years. You, that guy will mess up your house. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He was pretty well contained as long as he didn't go into that room. But... But you know what? My boys, my boys had a guy just a little bit older than them that they looked up to and wanted to be like. To this day, who do they go to when they're struggling? Kyle Brown. See, if I would have said, no, 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 you can't come to my house, I, I would have never experienced that. I would have lost that joy. I would have robbed myself of that. America worships our homes and our cars and our things. we got to liberate that so that it can be more about those things that will end. Got to make it about Jesus. Got to be willing to do that. Folks, we just walked into a new church today. We have clean carpet. And now we've got Super Kids Super Camp. They're going to mess this place up. <laughs> we got to do this without grumbling. We've made this room larger so that we can invite more people in. People who don't look like us, don't act like us, don't believe like us, you know. And how many of you have been in a church that just grumbled with new people? They grumbled. That's why they weren't growing. If we grumble with new people, my goodness, this room is going to shrink with people. We're at this place because God looks at our church and says, I can entrust you with more people. And I want to do that. Every time we've made room for more, he's, he's entrusted us with more. It's a good compliment from God. Don't grumble our church is getting larger. Grumble that we get to be used for such a time like this because the end is near. We can make this about Jesus. And then finally, finally, how do you serve? By exercising the gifts God has already given you. Look at verse 10 with me. It says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. You know, God has given you a gift, and I believe these gifts match your wiring. So without Christ, you actually have, I think, a gift that's primarily being used for your purposes, for your glory. But now that you've met Christ, the Spirit comes in and empowers your gift. And then he uses you for his glory. And so really, this whole thing of a gift is all matched around, do you show up to be served or do you show up to serve? And we've got to use our gifts. If you've been given a gift, exercise that gift. We want you to exercise it inside and outside of the church, in the family, out in the world. There shouldn't be a reason apart from laziness, 
that we give for using this gift. And God has used it in a varied way. Not all of you preach in front of a congregation. Many of you serve in so many ways. And we've got so many people who serve. That's the number one thing I hear around town and in our churches. Boy, you've got a lot of people serving. And we do because you're finding, you're discovering that joy. But we have a ton of people on the sidelines just watching. I want you to exercise your gift. How do you do that? Well, if you don't know your gift, sign up for Connecting Point. Connecting Point is a thing we do almost every month that links people uh, to the right person in the right place for the right reason in ministry. And you know what? We have about a 97% connection rate when people go go to Connecting Point. It's not an issue of us not finding a place for you. It's usually an issue of the attitude that you come to this place with. We think everyone matters. We think God has crafted each of you to make a difference in this world. And we want to partner with you to advance the gospel in our generation because the end of all things is near. Hey, take a look at these four ways to serve. Can I ask you a quick question? What is it in your life that you need to get over so that you can get into serving? Maybe it's a busy schedule. You've made it all about you and your family, but you haven't made it about Jesus. And you haven't made it about connecting to a church that wants to advance the gospel with you. Maybe you need to make yourself a little bit more available. Even if it's one hour a week. We have places you can serve one hour a week and make a difference, an eternal difference in the lives of people. Maybe it's you've been hurt in the past or you've been hurt here. Man, if you know me long enough and you're my friend, I'm going to hurt you in something I say or do. It has love covered a multitude of sins in your life. Maybe you need to go and seek forgiveness. Maybe you need to set someone free of that. Maybe it's a past experience where you were hurt and you're not trusting Christians anymore. Come on, please. We're, we're all imperfect. The, the model that we give is imperfect, but the person of Jesus is perfect. We're all trying to follow him. And we need to have love cover a multitude of sins. I've been in the church a long time, and I had to forgive people. I had to get over what I wanted to get back from people. And then, maybe it's your gift. You haven't really connected. And it's just maybe you're lazy with it. Maybe you're just watching. But you want to get into the game. Every week, you could go to the Welcome Center and say, I'd like to serve here, and they'll put you to work. I've, I've realized here at Fellowship, since I've, I've uh, grown with Fellowship from about 100 people to where it is today, there is no, nothing that is beneath me in serving. I used to take out the garbage on Monday mornings and put it at the corner over at 17th and Indian Hills. I used to print the bulletins. My family folded them on the weekend, and we'd bring them and hand them out on the weekday. Oh, I mean, on the weekend when we, we had, had services. I did vacuuming. I cleaned bathrooms. I've cleaned windows here. Nothing's beneath me. It's not. Why? Because this is for the Lord. This is to make him greater. Drop those expectations of self-importance. Become sober-minded and get in the game. Exercise your gifts, and God will make it all about him. And that's what we were created about for. Take that next step. Let's pray. Father, thanks so much for showing us a picture of a life with you or a life without you. A life with you that shows up to serve or a life without you that expects others to serve us. Lord, we want to serve you. 
And so humble our lives, humble our schedules. We step down from a significance in order to make you great. And we lift you up. We thank you for inviting us to be part of your work for your glory. And since the end of all things is near, we strategically place ourselves available to you for whatever you want to do, wherever you want us to go, whoever you want us to reach, to serve them the gospel and serve them the good news of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray and want to make all of our lives about Jesus. Amen.